0: Blood Talk Radio. Welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, where the National World War II Museum hosts its annual Memorial Day event with patriotic music and a ceremony honoring the families of those who paid the ultimate price serving their country. And Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where Fleet Fleet Little Rock hosted a Memorial Day pancake run featuring a pancake cook-off and fun run to benefit Team RWB, an organization dedicated to enriching the lives of veterans. Tonight, Michael and I and Talk Show 49 co-host Brad Hicks will talk about lethal injection challenges raised in state and federal courts by inmates who've been sentenced to death and the controversial executions of Joseph Wood. In Arizona, Clayton Lockett in Oklahoma, Dennis McGuire in Ohio, and Angel Diaz in Florida. As always, we are a live show and calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347 989 1171. Good evening, Brad and Michael. How are you? Good evening,
1: Lisa. What I want to know is how does Lisa know about these pancake breakfasts? My fat butt's over here thinking, oh my God, this sounds amazing.
0: Well, I. I It was this uh, morning.
2: I had no idea. I uh, unfortunately had to join the workforce uh, this morning as apparently bowling never stopped. But.
0: uh... (laughs)
3: Yeah.
0: Oh. Yeah, I had my day off. No, I just Google events, Little Rock. And a calendar comes up on Google.
3: Maybe I should
2: Google more often.
0: Right. So, and actually I saw a a news story. Uh, One of the other things at the World War II Museum, they unveiled uh, some bronze statuary dedicated to U.S. airmen killed in World War II. The statues were uh, done by a U.S. Air Corps veteran. He began the project when he was 87, finished at age 94. He passed away last Memorial Day, and the statues were apparently unveiled today. And I did not see that until later this afternoon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have to go check
0: that. Sure. So, and as my cousin um has said, today is about those who've lost their lives serving. While it's nice to always appreciate all service members, today is for for the ones to remember those who lost their lives.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's always a good show uh, to transition. It's always a good show when we got uh, both you and Brad on. Uh, Brad obviously brings a pretty different perspective on uh, a lot of stuff here. So it's definitely always good to hear the debate that uh, goes on whenever everybody is uh, on here. And, you know, it's definitely always entertaining. And tonight, we definitely have a divisive topic, you know, being the uh, lethal injection protocol and things and the death penalty in general.
0: Yes, it is. Um, Although, uh, you know, my stance on it has always been it is a valid punishment. And when you look at what some of these people did in order to be sentenced to death, It's a very valid punishment.
1: Well, and you know, uh, me and Brad talked about this Saturday as I was asking him if he wanted to be on the show for tonight as well. And uh, when we were talking about it, you know, he obviously, uh, I'll let him explain his stance on it here in just a moment, but we were talking and I've kind of changed up my thoughts here recently. So I'm kind of of the thought that there is only certain crimes, even certain murders that should be eligible for the death penalty. Particularly heinous ones. Ted Bundy comes off the page. But then you look at somebody like, you know, Casey. Uh when Casey was charged, she was charged with murder one. So technically, according to Florida law, unless and Lisa you can correct me, she would have been uh she would have been eligible for the death penalty. Now, Correct. my thing is... Because, wait, the child now, well, hang on animal. just
0: a second. In most states, if the victim is under the age of six, it is death penalty eligible.
1: Okay. Okay. That The,
0: the, the age of the victim, uh, and children are particularly vulnerable victims. In mm-hmm. some states, it's a, if the victim is over 65 or under six... It's death penalty eligible. And I don't find that that is an unreasonable uh, position as far as, and it's, you know, it's an aggravating factor. Not only did you kill somebody, but you killed a particularly vulnerable uh, person or victim.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, I think, especially in Casey's case, Part of me, number one, is just like Brad when we were talking Saturday. She was overcharged, I believe, and that's why they didn't get the conviction. But also, you know, in her case, do I truly believe that Casey honestly wanted to kill her daughter? Meh. The argument can be made, but I think she just wanted to go out and party and subdue her child. And she, you know, unfortunately is an asshole and, you know— drugged her child a little there, too
0: much there was some circumstantial evidence and there was also the fact that Casey's mother and Casey had such a volatile relationship and Casey would probably not have been above killing Kaylee to her her mother but she can't admit that's why she did it sure um, but you know, I think it could have been an accident, but the jury had that that uh, that option because there were lesser-included offenses, and they also were not properly advised. The state did mm-hmm. not have to prove exactly how Kaylee died. Right. The state did not have to prove exactly when Kaylee died, and given the circumstances – where Kaylee's body was put in the swamp Mm -hmm. and was not found for six months because, you know, Casey also did not, she kept people as far away from her neighborhood as she could get them by sending them Mm -hmm. on the wild goose chase for Zenaida Fernandez-Gonzalez. True. And that was not in her neighborhood. Uh, so Correct. she, Very you know, there point. were some elements, there were some elements to her behavior that could lead to the inference that her actions were more deliberate than point. giving her the benefit of the doubt.
1: Very good point. Well, uh, I guess we'll go ahead and let Brad come in and do his little uh, introduce himself and where he's going to be coming from as we discuss the protocol okay. for lethal protection and things like that, Brad.
2: Well, I was just I was sitting here reading actually a uh, a website called deathpenaltyinfo.org, dot org and um, mm-hmm. it's it's sourcing from a book called Gruesome Spectacles. I don't know if you've read that, Lisa.
3: It's uh, no. it's called
2: Gruesome it's called Gruesome Spectacles, Botched Execution and America's Death Penalty. And it's it's written by a, a gentleman, uh, Austin Ferrat, who's a professor <laughs> of jurisprudence and political science at Amherst College.
3: And I'm not okay. exactly
2: sure I'm not exactly sure when okay, it came out in twenty fourteen, so obviously that's the four year difference here or five year difference, but uh it has uh, the, let's see, five methods of execution, the total executions, the bot- botched execution, and the botched execution rate. And it's it's fairly interesting that um, in, in hanging, there's been 2,700, Now of course this is five years, so, you know, maybe, my, my, uh, you know, plus or minus, or at least plus, adds a couple to it, probably not many. But uh, you have 2,721 executions by hanging, of which 85 were botched. And that would be 3.12%. Electric execution was. Let me, huh?
0: let me let me get something. I, I want to set something. This is kind of just my pet peeve, um, botched implies that the execution did not go through. The execution didn't happen. The inmate did not die.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And what, well, I, uh, what Austin Surratt is referring to is more where things did not go smoothly and there were some there was some unintended pain, suffering. Well, you know, yeah, when I mean, when you talk about, I don't ex, it, electrocution I just, I don't and, like. and right. pardon, I um, said, I don't
3: you know, know there's
0: there's unintended consequences or unintended, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. What is the word? Complications
2: well, well, that lead uh, to.
0: The process not going smoothly according, and quickly. Yeah, according
2: to his definition, a boxed execution occurs when there is a breakdown in or departure from the protocol for a particular method of execution. The protocol can be established <clears throat> by the norms, expectations, and advertised virtues of each method or by the government's officially adopted execution guidelines. Boxed executions okay. are those involving unanticipated problems or delays that cause... At least arguably unnecessary agony for the prisoner, or that reflects reflect gross uh, incompetence of the executioner. Such examples include, among other things, inmates catching fire while being electrocuted, strangled during hains, and tear their neck broken, and then being administered the wrong dosages of specific drugs for lethal injections, which is the premise for the conversation that we're having this evening.
0: All, All right. right. Yeah, that. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't really. I, I like I said, I don't really agree. Um, the there are. I did find out examples of three botched executions where they weren't the individuals were not even executed. The executions well, were halted because of the uh, because of the problems encountered in establishing an IV in a drug addict or former drug addict.
2: What's I was gonna say uh, there, and quote me if I'm wrong, Lisa, but wasn't there a statute statute put in place that if you're hit with the electric chair or excuse me, if you're if you're hit with three doses of, of electricity in the chair and you survive that that you are I mean essentially for all intents and purposes I, no longer
0: well, you know. I don't know that that was statutory per se. I know that in English common law there was a tradition where if the hangman released the uh released the trap and you didn't die, then you were uh you know, you were allowed to live. Uh, but it was know, more a, a tradition in English common law. I don't know that there was a statute. And frankly, being hit with three jolts of electricity yeah. in an electric chair, I don't think anybody's no. going to live
1: from that. Well, the question no, I have – I apologize, Frank. Go ahead.
2: Well, what I was going to say is, um, you know, uh, obviously – just, I'll just show you the percentages instead of the you know the totals. Obviously electrocutions had the most totals, you know, double that of hanging, which was came in second. Um, but uh hanging had according to, to Surratt's uh terminology for botch was three point one three point twelve percent, electrocution one point nine two percent, lethal gas five point four, lethal injection seven point one two uh, obviously, the firing squad had zero. And um, the interesting thing about this that could kind of help the argument for those in favor of the death penalty and the notion that boxes don't occur in, in, <clears throat> in regularity like they are, like people claim, is that you had eight thousand seven hundred and seventy-six total executions as of twenty fourteen when this book was published. With only 276 of those have been botched according to his standard for botching, right? Which only comes in at a at a, at a very feasible 3.15 percent.
0: Correct. So, and well, I, you I, know, I, the I, other thing that <clears throat> the other thing I got to say is Austin Surratt is probably not a person who supports. Or is in favor of the death penalty? he's probably someone who says I don't believe in it so yeah, you're
2: right you can you know you that. can
0: skew you can skew the number i'd I'd be interested I'm looking at the death penalty information page and I'm looking at the numbers, okay. and you know total executions by hanging well hanging went out in the end of the 19th century with the exception of a few states in the west and by the 1920s 1930s almost every state had adopted ex- electrocution so where do these numbers what is what 2721 are we talking executions that happen in the 19th century that encountered problems.
2: Apparently, apparently this is going over 120 years. So, you know, you take it back. Oh, okay, years. and
0: that's that's another. I think that when we look at death penalty for any statistical uh, evaluations, that we should start with 1977, Furman versus Georgia, or 1979, Greg versus Georgia. And because I'm that is so when the hard. current death penalty that is when the current death penalty laws came into effect or were developed and, by states and that the the people under sentence of death now were not sentenced in the 1800s, early 1900s prior to 1979. And, and,
2: and I'm the uh, Lisa because If you're looking at that same page that I am, um, there's 51 executions uh, case-by-case just below that that are examples. Uh And I didn't know what post-Furman botched executions were, the examples. Right. So when you mentioned the Furman thing, then that kind of put it all into perspective. So um, if any of those, I'm I'm looking at the outline that that I received, and I'm trying to see if any of those are in here.
1: So, I got yeah. two questions here for both of you. Number oh, one, is. according to the notes that Brad just threw out, I have to ask, just based upon the level of botched and what have you, I know it's an option in Utah, but uh, if we're talking about the ability to not botch an execution, why the hell aren't we using firing squad on everybody? And then the second thing is, if uh, that actually occurred in if the whole, you know, two jolts of electricity, or if they didn't drop and die for the hangman, uh, why don't we see that in a situation like uh, Clayton Lockett, for example, I believe was the gentleman in Oklahoma. I'll allow both of you to answer that, but I was just thinking about that when
3: he, he throwing the numbers. Yeah,
0: we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit later. We'll talk about okay. him a little bit later. Um, okay. Because th- and that's you know, that's another thing, too. A lot of these uh, Michael Radaway, who is a notorious anti death penalty advocate, um, and uh, Mr. Surratt, um, they may also not be looking at objectively at the topic. They're looking at it from through the prism of death penalty is always bad.
1: Through. and well, so you know we'll
0: talk about like i said we'll talk about clayton lockett uh a little bit later um and he actually was uh a new lethal injection method um not uh not not the protocol that was in place uh, prior to what was it, twenty fourteen? Mm-hmm. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. So I, I was I was going to run through just some informational uh, stuff as far as each state that employs uh, that that has a death penalty, and then what methods are available very quickly. Okay. Um, we have Alabama, which until 2013 was a three drug protocol, beginning with pentobarbital, and then after uh, from 20, 2002 to 2011 was three drug beginning with cyto- sodium thiopental, which they stopped producing. Uh, in Arizona, it's a single drug. Pentobarbital, uh, currently, which they actually—it's basically in, inducing a drug overdose. Uh, prior to that, they used three drugs, which was uh, sodium thiopental, pancurium bromide, which is a paralytic, and uh, potassium chloride to stop the heart. But then sodium thiopentol was taken off the market, and in the United States, there were challenges to importing it into the United States, so states had to find a new barbiturate, and then pressure was put on uh, drug makers not to provide barbiturates for execution, so they had to go to another protocol, another drug, yeah. um, Arkansas was sodium thiopentol, and um, they also have ongoing litigation about their execution method. Uh, California, they have not apparently changed their execution protocol and probably won't until Gavin Newsom is out of office because he has uh, uh, ordered a moratorium. Colorado – was also a three drug uh, protocol, and that also has a governor imposed moratorium. Delaware had a three drug uh, protocol. They instituted uh, the pentobarbital. Um, they also have a. Uh, they had a, their death penalty declared unconstitutional in August of 2016. Florida, Uh three-drug protocol, they are going with etomidate, which I presume is some kind of sedative agent, and that has been upheld by the Florida Supreme Court in 2017. What's it called? Uh, Georgia etomidate, E-T-O-M-I-D-A-T-E.
1: Okay. I'll look it up for you real quick. Uh, it okay, is a cool. Strong acting anesthetic.
0: Yeah, it's an anesthetic. Okay. Um, pentobarbital. Uh, Georgia has a one drug pentobarbital, which essentially is inducing a drug overdose.
2: Right.
0: Uh, so well, I mean, that's as does Idaho.
3: About,
0: right? Well, no. In the three drug, in the three drug protocols, they in they in. Uh, introduce the sedative anesthetic to render the person unconscious once it's determined that the person is unconscious and they do that by um, you know rubbing rub the chest rub the sternum and and say something and trying to get them to open their eyes or see if they're you know, responding to commands or responding to voice stimuli or painful stimuli. Uh, sometimes moving the eyeball, the eyelid back, and just literally touching the eyeball. And if you can do okay. that to somebody, they're not conscious. Um, yeah. And they also have monitors that they can put on the forehead that can actually measure whether a person is conscious or unconscious. But um, then once the person is unconscious, then they introduce pancurium bromide, which is a paralytic agent, and that stops breathing. And then they introduce potassium chloride, which stops the heart. Okay. And the problem that we had when sodium thiopental, which was a pretty reliable anesthetic um, or sedative, went off the market was that they argued you weren't really rendered unconscious and you could suffer pain. And so that's why some states went to the single drug so they didn't have to prove that the uh, sodium uh, or that the the sedative agent was rendering you totally unconscious and not having the paralytic and the potassium chloride, which can be extremely painful. Right. And um, so they started introducing like 500 milligrams of midazolam, or 500 milligrams of pentobarbital, which is a drug overdose. And um, we'll talk about that a little bit more as well. And then uh, I think we had Idaho as a single drug. Um, Indiana is – Currently, it's a three-drug protocol, but they're in litigation about the protocol and the secrecy provisions. And Kansas doesn't have a protocol in place. They haven't had any executions in more than a decade. Uh, Kentucky has a three-drug protocol. It is also in um, litigation in state court. Louisiana uh, has litigation in federal court. They had a three drug and I think they were going to a two drug where it's basically I think midazolam and another uh, barbiturate. And Mississippi has three drugs beginning with pentabarbital and they are also in litigation in federal court. Missouri is a one drug pentobarbital, and it is ongoing at the Supreme Court. Although if it's a Bucklew case, they actually uh, the Supreme Court has found that their protocol is not cruel and unusual. Um, and then Montana has three drug, Nebraska has four drug, which is diazepam, fentanyl, citrate. And then this bethylate, potassium chloride. so diazepam and fentanyl, which are very strong, diazepam is a sedative, and fentanyl is a strong narcotic. right. Uh, Nevada has three drugs. New Hampshire hasn't carried out any executions. Um, and then New Hampshire Hasn't carried out any executions New Mexico Three drug But it, their death penalty Had been abolished in 2009 North Carolina uh, Three drug And litigation ongoing in state court Ohio Three drugs beginning with midazolam And okay. um There is litigation ongoing in federal court, and executions are on hold until a new protocol is crafted. Oklahoma, they are also having to rework their uh, protocol. They are looking at replacing lethal injection with nitrogen gas executions. Okay. Oregon's three-drug protocol. Pennsylvania, three-drug protocol. Uh, that also has a governor-imposed moratorium and litigation in state court, as does Oregon have governor-imposed moratorium. Um, South okay. Carolina is three-drug. South Dakota is one drug. Uh, Tennessee is three-drug, three and it's also involved in litigation in federal court. Uh, Texas is one drug, pentobarbital. They used to use the three drug, but uh, again, with the execution, the challenges to whether pentobarbital was strong enough to render unconscious, they went with one drug, and basically it's a high-dose drug overdose. Uh, Utah okay. has three drug. Virginia three drug. Washington was uh, their death penalty was outlawed in 2018. It was at the time a single drug, sodium thiopental. And Wyoming is three drug, beginning with sodium thiopental. And that is the U.S. Uh, the United States is also three drug. Protocol.
3: Okay. Beginning
0: with sodium thiopental.
3: Okay.
1: Definitely. So, um, uh, and you know, a lot of different methods for sure.
0: Yeah, and and several uh, several states in addition in addition to lethal injection, have also um, brought in alternate methods such as. Uh, uh, The sodium, uh, the nitrogen, nitrous oxide, hypoxia, Um, and I think a couple of other states have uh, brought back hanging and electric chair and uh, gas – well, I don't know that they can bring back the gas chambers – Because that Mm -hmm. that would require retooling chambers that had stopped – they'd stopped using, and they have to reseal them and do all those things.
1: Well, I was about to say, I think they said – I think I remember watching the death penalty documentary once, and they said that that was easily the most expensive form of uh, executing
3: somebody.
0: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so um but the you know the idea is with the three drug protocols you went re- you render the person unconscious first,
3: mhm,
0: and then you um and then you administer the uh, other drugs that actually cause the death, right. So, um but that is that is a, a kind of a summary and different methods in different states. Of course you you've got all the challenges to uh electric chair and hanging and things like that. Um there was a state that did bring back firing squad.
1: Mm-hmm. And it
0: was used. Um, as probably within the last five years.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, well, Washington state's outlawed the death penalty.
1: Well, I'm not sure. I, I thought there was two. Hold on, give me a second, and I'll look up the information. But I thought there was two.
0: Okay, according to a list that I just I just read from uh, October of 2018, Washington's death penalty was declared. Unconstitutional.
1: Okay. Yeah, and it so, may not have been Washington. Um, it may have been somebody else, but I thought it was Washington. I could be wrong.
0: Yeah. So. Um,
1: Mississippi, Mississippi, Oklahoma, and Utah.
0: What's that with the uh,
1: firing squad option?
0: firing squad. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um and then like I said the the main issue is whether the anesthetic, sedative, tranquilizer, whatever they're using, um it's all in the class of drugs that they use.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh
0: whether it is sufficient to bring unconsciousness.
1: Okay. Which, I mean, we've seen and, situations. I remember that was one of the main things that uh, whenever, because, and I don't know how other states do it, but when we were going through our, you know, and I keep getting the number wrong, but our large number of execution in a short time frame, uh, that was one of the main things that they kept talking about was, was the person conscious? Uh, did they have any trouble breathing or were they gasping? and You know, that's kind of like when I I was talking to Brad, I wanted to ask him, and I'm glad he was able to define it, what exactly the gentleman considered a botched execution. Because some people consider that one of our executions in that uh, time frame was botched because the gentleman appeared to, quote-unquote, be gulping for air. But, uh, you know, I think since then it's been considered not botched. So, I mean, I think it all depends on an uh, individual person's definition like I said, of what a botch.
0: To me, to me, botch would mean that they couldn't go through with the execution, right? Because they couldn't they couldn't establish a patent IV line, and that means they can't go through with the execution because they can't in they can't introduce any drugs, and so the the person and there are three where that did happen. After numerous mm-hmm. attempts to establish uh, an IV, they were unable to do so. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about the um, Wood and and Lockett and McGuire and Diaz because mm-hmm. there were at we'll least with bit. with Wood and Diaz. I mean with Wood and and Lockett, the reason the executions did not go off as planned is not necessarily the fault of the prison or the people carrying out the executions. Right. Even though it's it it's portrayed as that in the the main media or the mainstream media. Well,
1: I- I think Lockett is the one that everybody gravitates towards, as far as the you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna call it this, but I don't know if I'm using the right words, but the you know the uh,
3: show uh,
1: you know method of hey, this is not our shining example of why executions or how executions go wrong for the uh, anti-death penalty folks.
0: But the reason that his went so badly is due to his actions prior to his execution. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that later.
3: Right, right. <laughs> so,
0: well. but um, there, there, have been, there have been state challenges in just about every state. Um, in right. Tennessee, a guy by the name of Ali Abdul Rahman, Uh, challenged in both Tennessee Supreme Court and federal court um, the execution protocols in Tennessee going back to 2004. Uh, Mm -hmm. As of 2011, he was still challenging. Um, He's been to the U.S. Supreme Court in 2005. Um, He's argued that... um, Well, he he's challenging his own case as well as the um, chance of not being rendered unconscious with the use of something other than sodium thiopental, and that's okay. what most of them boil down to: is whether or not. Um, whether you're going to be conscious when the other two drugs are administered,
1: and I mean to be fair, to be fair, I would just like to say, you know, I, I th- that would be a worry for me because I believe, and this is based upon another execution I did see, Brad, sent me that website on the quote unquote list of botched executions, but uh, Christine uh-huh. Riggs in Arkansas. I remember she used one of the drugs I believe uh used in that three drug cocktail that uh to murder her children. And uh I remember they said that, you know, she didn't use it correctly or it just basically caused a hell of a lot of pain to her kids. So yeah, I'm pretty sure I should be right.
3: unconscious.
0: Right. Um but the interesting thing is that when they when someone's executed, they almost all have filed some sort of action prior to execution that prohibits autopsy, prohibits having the drug levels in their organs, bodies checked and confirmed. So right. um, mo- most of it, most of it is an argument. It could happen. They'll argue that it did happen in some of these cases, even though that's not necessarily the case. But they they can't prove that it did. Mm-hmm. Even the botched the three guys whose executions were botched, who were not executed because they weren't able to establish line. No drugs were ever administered to any of them. Mm-hmm. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa.
1: Lockett. Just
0: to show. Lock
1: it.
0: <laughs> oh. No, Lockett. It, Lockett, it. like I said, I'm. Um, no, Lockett. Uh, Lockett is, like I said, it's an execution that did not. There were complications, and right. we'll get into it but in uh oh. in Ohio, there was ramel broom um they were unable to establish an i v and um probably due to Broom's history of intravenous drug use because when you use intravenous oh. drugs over a long period of time, your veins become crap, good. Right. Uh, Alva Campbell, also in Ohio in 2017, uh, they were unable to, after 30 minutes, establish a line in his arm. Uh, They tried to establish a line in the vein uh, below his right knee and were unable to find the vein. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they also called off the execution uh, Mr. Campbell apparently had um, a breathing problem and had a colostomy bag and required a walker, so he was probably older and had poor circulation, which is why they couldn't find veins.
3: Mhm. Um Now,
1: Lisa.
0: And the last one was Doyle Lee Ham in Alabama. He also had cancer.
1: I wanted to ask you, and obviously without going into too much detail, because I know we're going to go into more detail later, but I did want to ask you because, and I knew I had read this before on the Wikipedia page, and obviously I know it's not the best source of information, (laughs) but it said that uh, drugs uh, the drug medazolam, whatever, bromide, and potassium chloride were actually administered at 623, starting at 623. To lock it? Yes.
0: I okay, no. I wasn't talking about lock it. Oh, I wasn't talking about lock it.
1: Okay, I was about to now say I had I thought Lockett was
0: the uh, was a drug overdose, not a three drug protocol, but um, or two drug, basically sedative and um, barbiturate.
1: Yeah, give me one second, and I'll send you over this information to, or I'll send you the page okay, cool. as well. But. I just wanted to throw that out there that I did see that. Uh, give me one second, and I'll shoot it right. over to you in Messenger.
0: Okay. And then um, just to to keep moving, um, uh, the Arkansas State challenge, of course, is going on in federal court now, um, and they they've none of them have ever been successful because at the bottom line is that the um the the prisoners can't prove first of all that suffering is certain to happen um because what it comes it generally comes down to a a war of experts where uh-huh. Prisoners experts say oh yes It's suffering is certain to happen And state experts Say well we don't know And state experts Also can um, uh, In some cases Have actually Been present executions And explain that Some things that are observed Are not necessarily Indicative of pain But are Basically, motor responses to the drugs themselves. Um, so it comes down to, and also whether they can prove that there's another readily available method, because I think the, you know the the whole idea is let's keep chipping away at the methods of execution. Until states don't have any options. Uh And then there's no more death penalty. But I, I just... I think they need to be very careful because states may go back to more painful, like electrocution. The time frame of pain is relatively relatively brief. But it is there.
1: I want to say it was what Alabama that was like, well, you know what? If you ain't going to sell us the drugs, we'll go ahead and, uh, we'll go ahead and, uh, start electrocuting people.
0: Right. And the U.S. Supreme Court has never said you can't have some pain.
3: Mm hmm.
0: Um, and if it's not and if it's not being intentionally inflicted if it's not if they're not intentionally screwing something up to make it more painful, then you know it's it's an unintended consequence of running electricity through your body but uh on the um i'm gonna go back to the to the federal challenges. Um, mm-hmm. And then we had uh, David Nelson in Alabama. He was actually challenging uh, the Alabama lethal injection because of damage done to his veins by intravenous, intravenous drug abuse, which would require corrections officers to cut through the muscle and fat in his arms to get access to a vein. Um, And the – he was successful, um, and because his dealt only with the proposed method of execution for himself, so he had a right to challenge the necessity of the procedure for his execution um, under civil rights law. So he was successful, but he was just challenging it for himself. Um okay. And I didn't, I didn't look to see what eventually happened, but he, he may have. This was back in t- 2004.
3: Mhm.
0: So, um, but yeah, he he was able to challenge his, but that was because of his unique circumstance and then, um Clarence Hill, who was from Florida, he was challenging uh lethal injection as unnecessarily and gratuitously painful um he was not oh he was also able to challenge um because he he was not challenging his conviction or sentence. Um, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: So he he was able to challenge Florida's execution protocol. But whether that was ultimately successful. uh, And then we have Bayes versus Reese, which was out of Kentucky in 2008. And these were two Kentucky inmates who were challenging the state's four drug lethal injection protocol Um, they which was Valium which relaxes it's a tranquilizer sodium sodium pentothal which is a barbiturate I believe Padvilon which is a muscle uh, paralytic and potassium chloride which Put you in cardiac arrest and you die. Um, and the U.S. Supreme Court in a 72 decision with four concurrences and one dissent held that Kentucky's lethal injection scheme did not violate the Eighth Amendment. Um, when performed correctly, the inmates had conceded that the method was humane, Um, and the inmates had failed to prove that incorrect administration of the drugs would amount to cruel and unusual punishment. The court also suggested, though, that a state may violate the ban on cruel and unusual punishment if it continues to use a method without sufficient justification in the face of a superior alternative procedure. Uh
3: Um.
0: And that was, like I said, it was the you know the two dissents were uh, John Roberts issued the decision. He was joined by Kennedy and Alito. Stevens wrote a separate concurring opinion,
3: uh-huh.
0: uh, supporting the opinion or the judgment, but stating in opposition his first time stating opposition to death penalty. Scalia, joined by Justice Thomas, wrote a concurring opinion. Uh, and then Alito issued a separate concurring opinion. Ginsburg and David Souter uh, dissented. This is the uh. Sotomayor.
1: Now, Lisa, I don't know if this one is on your radar or not, but this is another one that went to the Supreme Court, uh, Glossop, and I hope I'm saying the right name, versus Gross. Yeah,
0: it's on here. I'm I'm getting to it. It's next.
1: I apologize. I apologize.
0: <laughs> no problem. Yeah, Glossop and several inmates in um, Oklahoma were challenging uh-huh. Oklahoma's um, protocol, which was medazolam in the three-drug procedure, um, based on the events in Clayton Lockett's execution.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
0: And um, Charles Warner and twenty other death row inmates sued various state officials, arguing that medazolam as the initial drug in the execution protocol, violated the prohibition against cruel and unusual punishment of the Eighth Amendment. Um, In that decision, Justice Alito delivered the opinion of the 5-4 majority. The court held that there was insufficient evidence that use of midazolam as the initial drug in the execution protocol entailed a substantial risk of severe pain compared to the known and available alternatives. Um, The court found that because capital punishment has been held to be constitutional and some risk of pain is inherent in execution, the Eighth Amendment does not require that a constitutional method of execution be free of any risk of pain. Uh, instead a successful eighth amendment method of execution claim must identify a reasonable alternative that presents a significantly lower risk of pain. And this is what the petitioners in Glossop were unable to do. Uh which is generally what most of the uh, most of the challenges are unable to do. Mhm. And um so it, it was a it was pretty it was a very long opinion, but essentially it comes down to the Eighth Amendment doesn't guarantee no pain at all. Uh huh. So um, that was glossop, and then currently the Arkansas claim is going on. That trial finished. And we're waiting on the judge to make a decision.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and this is one of, the, one of the interesting things that came out of um, that trial. Um, they had the expert testimony of a, several officials in Arkansas who have witnessed executions that have been carried out by Arkansas. And um, because one of the interesting things, the the Arkansas inmates filed in federal court a request for discovery in in Texas, Mm -hmm. trying to seek information about executions held in Texas, which didn't fly. The court pretty much said, "They're in Arkansas." They're, you know, they're dealing with Arkansas's protocol. It has nothing to do with Texas. Request denied. You're not getting information, any, any information. Um, but this is something that um, uh, they discussed the execution of Kenneth Williams. He was one of the eight, one of the four uh, eventually put to death by Arkansas in 2017. Uh-huh. Um and there were claims that um Williams experienced pain. Strawn, who was at the execution, um, said that uh Well, okay. There was claims that that Williams lurched repeatedly during his execution. Strawn said uh, that he Williams did lurch for five to ten seconds, with no facial changes, no sound, and not showing signs of physical pain. And there were state senators and others who had um, witnessed executions and found, you know, they weren't as bad as. Um, as they had been led to believe. Um, and one of them said for approximately 10 to 15 seconds, there were some brief involuntary muscle spasms. His chest rose two or three inches a few times. I call it involuntary because I didn't see any pain on his face, no grimacing, I didn't hear any noises that would indicate pain. Um, and Charles Cox, who was chief medical examiner in Arkansas, Testified that he did conduct an administrative review and, um, of Williams' execution, and he found that under the influence of that much midazolam, any perception of discomfort on Williams' part would have been extremely muted, if not completely absent. He certainly would not have been experiencing the same type of pain that you or, or I would experience right now if we were struck hard enough on the head, there was, I guess, a wound to the back of his head. Um, Koch also testified that uh, Williams' reaction was not a sign of consciousness and is not uncommon for someone who is thrust into a deep, drug-induced central nervous system depression caused by a high dose of midazolam. Okay. So... um, you know some of these things that people are, are are witnessing. Their perception is that it it evidences signs of pain or discomfort. When it more likely than not is the body's reaction to drugs. True. Um, you know the body's the body's reaction to. That much, and in people we've we've seen with the opioid epidemic, we've seen people on the street over OD on fentanyl or or oxycodone or oxycontin or you know some of these strong strong opiates, heroin, and you know that's. That's basically what this is. Uh, in some states, they're using an opiate because they're, they're using oxymorphone. Um, so, and again, there was an additional testimony that uh, with midazolam, you can see... Uh, involuntary movement or even seizures.
3: Right.
1: Which so, I mean at that um, point people tend to if, if somebody sees and people are gonna say it's terrible and it went wrong and so on and right. so
0: forth. Right. Even though even if though the person doesn't really they feel anything be. their right, their their perception of it uh, and you know the, the the gasping because some of these drugs are they are respiratory depressants. Your body is going to want oxygen, whether you're conscious or unconscious. And so sometimes the the effect on the body is that it will try to get more oxygen because usually. These kind of drugs are given where you are intubated and you have a machine breathing for you. And I think that's another thing people don't really take into account. And then I took Samson out because right. his uh his conviction and death penalty, he pled guilty but he was he was uh he was sentenced to death in federal court for carjacking mm-hmm. uh, and killing two men, both of whom saw him needing a ride and stopped to give him a ride and help him. And his you know, payback was to murder them, um, but his, he actually was just resentenced, so his appellate process is still going on. And his lethal injection okay. challenge was not ripe for decision at that point in the process. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to take a quick break? Is Brad still with us? Yeah. Yeah, but okay. still here. just,
1: he, uh, he got an so he got called away. He'll be back.
0: Okay. Do you want to take a quick break?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And we'll come back and we'll finish with the federal and, uh, Ohio injection challenges.
1: Sounds good to me.
0: and you play taps again so I could have a little bit longer outside, but it's okay. I
1: apologize. <laughs> yeah, I saw that as soon as I was pressing hold, As soon as I was on music.
0: I know. That's okay. I didn't think about it until just a second ago. Uh, and we have the dogs in the neighborhood going crazy over something. Maybe there's a werewolf oh, running through the subdivision or something. All right, let me get back to my desk. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Well, I know it's not my cat anymore. My poor 18 year old dog aggressive cat. All right. So we were talking about the challenges in federal court. Mm-hmm. And the latest one was uh, out of Missouri, an inmate by the name of. Russell Bucklew, and Mr. Bucklew has a medical condition that causes tumors to form in his head and neck Mm
3: -hmm. and
0: lethal injection will cause him to hemorrhage during the execution. Um, Hmm. He was successful in the district court He was successful with the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals and then the Supreme Court, um, I think, reversed Hmm. Um, because Bucklew failed to provide a feasible. Readily implement an alternative procedure that would substantially reduce a substantial risk, or significantly reduce a substantial risk of severe pain. Okay. So um, he wanted, uh, Bucklew proposed nitrogen hypoxia, but he didn't produce any evidence that Missouri could use nitrogen hypoxia. And there was also an issue um regarding uh, his uh, his electing nitrogen hypoxia there was when when the method basically was uh, adopted people whose convictions were final prior to that time had to elect nitrogen hypoxia. And Mr. Buckler didn't do that. He did it at the 11th hour. So he had one execution date uh, stayed and then now he's eligible to be executed. Um, okay. And this is interesting because this is the the uh, uh, The current Supreme Court, Judge Kavanaugh, concurred with the majority, but also um, found that the court agreeing with the court's holding that the alternative method didn't have to necessarily be authorized under the current state law. Uh, Justices Breyer and Ginsburg, Sotomayor, and Kagan all dissented – And um, so that's basically that's Russell Bucklew. So uh, I don't know that he's had a date, a new date set by Missouri. So um, he's currently awaiting, I guess, a new date, and then they will. uh, It will probably begin again. And then okay. finally, the last one is Christopher Lee Price in Alabama. Mm-hmm. He also wanted nitrogen hypoxia. He also waited until the last minute to elect nitrogen hypoxia and um, then filed a claim in federal court. He had an execution date set in April of this year it was stayed and the stay was was
3: uh
0: upheld, upheld. well it, it was it the u.s. supreme court did not deny his writ until after the stay, after the date had expired for his execution okay and there was a blistering dissent from uh Uh, Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, Ginsburg, and Kagan um, basically arguing that uh, Price was being denied due process. Um, Mm -hmm. And then so the state of Alabama set a new execution date. He's been back to the Supreme Court. And on May 13, 2019, he was uh, – sociaria was again denied, and the stays put in place in the district court and the 11th Circuit were dissolved, vacated. So um, he, he now is scheduled to be executed on the 31st, I believe. In Alabama.
3: Okay.
1: So less than a week. Correct. Or what? It Friday?
0: it's either Thursday or Friday.
1: I believe it's Friday. Yeah, because yeah, my birthday is Wednesday, so it would be Friday.
0: Okay. No, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to remember whether it's May thirtieth or or May thirty first. Okay. Um. Let's see. I thought I had a news article where they set the new date, but apparently I don't. And then Thank Ohio you. has had since about two thousand six has had ongoing litigation um for uh its execution protocol and recently um the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals weighed in mm-hmm. and found that, as with Glossop and, and all the others, that midazolam is is not an unacceptable uh, agent to be used in execution.
3: hmm
0: So um, – And uh, one of the interesting things, and and Justice Thomas did it as well with Price, of um, looking at the prisoners and looking at the victims. In Price, the victim was a minister, an elderly gentleman who was robbed and murdered. Um, In the Ohio case, Ronald Phillips, who was one of the claimants, he raped a three-year-old girl and beat her to death. Um, She was in pain for days before she died. Ott, who was another Ohio inmate, um, he entered a man's home, robbed him, shot him, in the head. Two nights later, pushed his way into a woman's home and did the same thing to her. Um, After each murder, he went out partying. Raymond Tivitz, the third gentleman, uh, killed an elderly man and his caretaker. Police found the man slumped in a chair with knives protruding from his chest and back. His caretaker was on the floor in a pool of blood. And her skull was cracked with a blunt object. So the suffering that they may they may experience pales in the comparison with what their victims endured. And that's another thing too. A lot of the anti um, they talk about, you know, being afraid and knowing what day you're going to die and you know, how horrible it is and waiting for years. Well, how about your victims? Sure. You know, they, you know, they, they were, I'm sure they were terrified. Sure. Um, You know, and we'll get to Lockett, you know, his, uh, he he buried his victim alive. Mm
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, you might suffer for a few minutes, but what about what the victims endured? And, you know, yeah, maybe that is a little bit of retribution. But it's so funny that, you know, if they're going to have a little bit of pain, five minutes, and it's, it's intolerable. But what they did to their victims is um, nobody should look. Don't look over at that. Don't balance that with with what he's asking for. Yeah. So um, then we'll get to the, the the. I call them controversial because they they did have complications in Joseph Woods' case. Uh, he was executed in Arizona. Um, the first drugs were administered at 1.57 p.m., and he was not declared until 3.49 p.m. And there was an emergency hearing where his attorney, who also was involved in Glossop in Oklahoma, um tried to get the a judge to halt the execution the uh, this was a uh, two drug overdose basically and um an autopsy was conducted. there was no problem with the i v lines they were perfectly placed according to the medical examiner in uh, Pima County. um, The catheters were completely within the veins and there was no leakage of any kind and that everything that was put through the IVs went into the veins. They were still awaiting toxicology reports, um, but this may have been just that for this particular person, even a drug overdose is going to – is not going to be an instantaneous death. But the records from the execution, a med- medical personnel were present and confirmed that he remained unconscious the entire time. And it's not just looking at him and saying, oh, yeah, his eyes are closed. I mean, I'm sure they call his name they tell him to open his eyes They do the Glasgow coma basically do you, so, do you have any medical background no okay um, generally when you're you know when you're in an accident or um uh, have a medical thing what happens is the personnel who are treating you, starting with the EMTs at the scene, they'll ask you, you know, they'll tell you to open your eyes. You open your eyes. If you don't, you open your eyes, that's one score. If you speak to them and answer questions, that's another score. And they use that score to determine where you are on the Glasgow Coma Scale. That's what they used to call it. And, um... If they call your name and tell you to open your eyes and you don't respond, you're unconscious. Then they try painful stimuli, which is rubbing knuckles on your sternum and insistently calling your name. Have you are you you did you did you witness any medical intervention with that accident?
1: Do what now? I apologize.
0: When you witnessed the accident, you are you know, a little while ago, did you witness any of the EMTs with the patient?
3: Oh, no. No, okay. not at all.
0: Did you ever watch emergency? Do you ever watch, like, ER or any of the hospital shows? I
1: think I was too young for ER, but, I mean, I've watched a couple
3: hospital
0: shows. <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to find... You know, something that gives you an idea of what they're likely doing, it's the same principle. Um, And it's also interesting, I read Joseph Wood's logs, and, you know, when they're setting the IV, they're still treating him like a patient. They're letting him know, we're going to set it, you know, we're going to set this in your right hand. We're going to look at your veins. We're going to make sure everything's good they're telling him everything that they're going to do and the purpose of doing it and asking him if something's too tight, if it needs to be loosened, we'll loosen it. You know, they're treating him like a patient. Right. And, you know, they're not treating him like, you know, a a monster that's going to be put down, even though he's shot and killed. His ex ex girlfriend and her father. Um, so, you know what what happened? Why it took two hours? But again, through the records kept during the course of the execution, he was never conscious, and most of the most of the things that were observed were likely involuntary reactions to the drugs that had been administered to him
1: Yeah, I mean obviously so that's what happened there
0: Well, I you know like I said it's it's a medical procedure and um you know, I don't know what his history was with drugs. I mean he'd been in he'd been in Department of Corrections since like nineteen eighty nine, so um he probably I would I would hope he hadn't had any drugs, but who knows. Um and they you know they didn't administer massive doses. What they did was they administered initial doses and then additional doses as as the time passed but again there's right. there's no evidence that he was suffering he may not have died in 15 or 20 minutes but i've seen i've seen ODs on um what is it uh night watch? You know, I yeah, saw dude, one man. on night watch in New Orleans. Right. I don't know how long the guy had been down, but he was blue when the paramedics came upon him. They weren't even responding to a call. They're just driving through, you know, driving through on the street and they see a guy laying on the side of the road and they're like oh something's not right with him get out and you know he's blue he's got no respiration they gave him narcan and he came back
1: right i believe so, I that so um
0: and you know like i said it's <laughs> it's a drug overdose some people perhaps a drug overdose is going to happen quickly but other people, it's going to take longer for their body to, to let go.
1: Right, and I'm sure it's got something also to do with, you know, how many drug your drug tolerance and things like that.
0: It could be. Um, although, well, wood was a methamphetamine user prior to his incarceration. Right, so that's
1: why I'm saying he probably, you know, it could be a situation where he was holding on for longer because he was, you know, his body's used to a certain level of drugs. So right. it, while it ended up being enough to kill him, it took a little while longer. Or,
0: or he was able to get his hands on some methamphetamine prior to his execution. And that's a a stimulant And it's gonna have it's gonna have a counter productive effect on the sedatives. Just a theory. And then on with Lockett, um, first of all, the most important factor that none of the media reports, is that Mr. Lockett, the day before his execution, had inflicted superficial incise wounds on his upper extremities with a safety razor. So essentially what he did was he inflicted wounds that would prevent his arms being used to administer or establish an IV line. Right. And so then they tried his, um, they tried in his hand, uh, they tried in his shoulder, they tried in his foot and his jugular region. They ended up going with the femoral vein
3: Mhm
0: however, they didn't have the right needle, or they had a they did have the right needle, but they the person establishing the i v was not aware that the right needle was there was available. And so his um his line did infiltrate. Which means it what the needle was not in the vein, it was in the muscle. So the drugs were being injected in the muscle. Right. Um, the
1: so that did, the scam correct.
0: But, you know, he. he I, I guess what he thought was if they can't use my arms, they're not going to try and execute me. But that's not how it works. If you make it so they can't use your arms. They'll find. They'll establish a vein. They'll find a vein, and they'll use it. Oh yeah. And so, um, but it, had he left his arms alone, it probably would not have gone as you know as badly as it went, because they would have been able to establish a patent IV.
3: Mhm.
0: So, and Lockett's victim, Stephanie Neiman, um, she stood up to him during a robbery. She was kidnapped, raped, driven to a country road, and buried alive. Shame. In 2000, he was convicted of murder, rape, forcible sodomy, kidnapping, assault, and battery, and sentenced to death. Um, And he also – there's no doubt about his guilt, DNA from the victim, fingerprints from the duct tape used to blind the victim, and eyewitness testimony led to his murder conviction. Now, she – he did shoot her with a shotgun. So she eventually died from two shotgun wounds. But right. Again, how many hours was she subjected to kidnapping, rape, being buried alive? And then Yeah, shot?
1: I mean, I- she was uh she was tortured as well
0: correct and that and that's another thing too i think another distinction in these cases what happened was not intended by prison officials they didn't want you know they didn't do this deliberately to cause would or lock it or anyone else to suffer. Um, you know, it's like I said, it's a medical, a medical procedure, and all medical procedures come with inherent potential for complications. Even in the absence of any negligence or mistakes, you can have unintended consequences.
1: Right.
0: I mean because you know because you can have congenital conditions that period. even you aren't aware of. Um you know, you can have medical conditions that you're not aware of and that those treating you aren't aware of. And so, again, you know, his his decision to uh, tear up his arms led to what was certainly an unintended consequence for him. But again, I think he thought, if they can't use my arms, they'll have to not execute me.
1: Right, right, and yeah, definitely. I do um, wanted to let you know, uh, Brad's back, Brad. Hi, Brad. Hey, hey, Lisa. Hey, Lisa. I'm
2: sorry, I was tending to uh, my two puppies at the uh, for a little while.
0: Oh no, that's okay.
2: I I, I wanna I wanna uh, sound off on something real fast though that, that that's interesting to me. Um, it's an article by Michelle Cominci, uh, uh back in December of 2009. And this the interesting piece on this is that um, the article says, uh, although the constitutionality of lethal injection isn't before the court, an issue on which it has never ruled, and of course this was stated 10 years ago, one comment by Justice John Paul Stevens, Uh, During oral arguments hints that the court, along with the nation, is not ignoring the bigger picture. And I wanted your comment on on what Justice Stevens told, uh, said to an attorney arguing on behalf of the state, is that your procedure would be prohibited if applied to cats and dogs.
0: What case was that in?
2: Let's see. This is. Uh, when the Supreme Court agreed to hear Florida death row inmate Clarence Hill's plea in Hill versus McDonough,
0: McDonough okay,
2: McDonough, McDonough. That, that just an interesting from that justice, and it it, when it was a perspective that I guess I've never really looked at, it, and but it does seem to make some sense to me is that uh, just like this article says the. Um, Jamie Fellner, who is the U.S. Program Director at the Human Rights Watch and co-author of a recent report entitled, So Long As They Die, Lethal Injection to in the United States, which finds that prisoners may have experienced excruciating pain during their executions. The U.S. takes more care of killing dogs than people, is what Fellner said, not the justice. But the justice did talk about uh, that this procedure would be prohibitive if applied to cats and dogs. So. I just wanted your opinion on that because that's and Michael, I, that's something that that's a, a a whole new outlook on it that I had never even thought of before.
0: Well, I think that um, this was in two thousand nine, and I, I found a CNN article. Um, I don't know what Justice Stevens based his Statement on uh, first, I'm well, going to say um, um, I've here, heard here, that here, before, here. but I don't know in Florida. It, is it based on Florida? Well, saying you the
2: article that I was going through, it says why the references to animals because uh, when it con- and it says when a condemned inmate is given the final painful dose of the three drug concoction. No one checks to make sure he is in a level of deep unconsciousness first. However, if your pet is being put down, American veterinarian medical association guidelines require this precaution. It is inhumane to do so otherwise.
0: Well, that is actually not necessarily true.
3: Because we were talking about
0: um Wood
3: uh
0: in Jeffrey Wood's case, I mean the the logs are available online he was in Arizona took him 2 hours to to die after the drugs were administered um but there was a medical person who throughout the course of those 2, two hours confirmed that he was unconscious um i think there's a there is a tendency for some to portray it as somebody looking and saying, "Oh, his eyes are closed; he must be unconscious," but I don't know that that is actually the limit of what they're doing. In Arizona, it certainly wasn't, because they were doing using the Glasgow Coma Scale, where you you know you ask, you tell the patient to open their eyes you tell them if they don't respond to voice you have painful stimuli and tell them to open their eyes and if they still don't respond they're unconscious so like i said i don't know where where they're getting the idea that there's no attempt to confirm or that there's yeah, an adequate sure attempt to confirm unconsciousness.
1: I'm not sure about that either, because every execution involving lethal injection I, uh, you know, followed has always included a consciousness check.
3: So I'm not,
1: I'm not sure about that. Maybe it's changed in the intervening ten years since that case, but
3: definitely,
1: you know. I know at least now there is a conscious mischief.
0: Right. And there is, you know, there there are um there are monitors and weeds and some states may at some point implement those. In North Carolina, they did pursuant to a judge's order use a brain scan monitor to measure the condemned in level of consciousness. And that was back in 2009. So, you know, and I've been present when pets were, were put down. And, you know, yes, they make sure that they're unconscious. But like I said, I haven't been present in execution to know whether or not they are, and how they're doing it,
3: mhm,
0: I think that's just <clears throat> a you know that's that's a perception of justice Stevens, perhaps that it's not being done correctly right
3: maybe that's because right. Maybe the that's argument the argument right, is right, always
0: right. that what what you see the movement the gasping, the the things of that nature are evidence of consciousness. Right. Which Maybe they're is not arguing necessarily the whether case. Whether or
1: not they truly lost consciousness, but definitely there's a consciousness check that I've seen. Well, not that I've seen. Right. You know, and, and I'm not saying that there's one. not
2: one. I'm not saying that there's not one, but what I'm saying is and this this article that I'm reading is from 2016 out of the Montgomery Advertiser that, and I guess you may have talked about it while I had stepped away. But the lawsuit challenging Alabama's death penalty protocol, uh, Dr. Alan Kay, chair of the Louisiana State University's Department of Anesthesiology, testified Wednesday that the consciousness test used by the Department of Corrections in the state of Alabama is inadequate. So is it, you know, I'm not saying that they don't have one in place, but what I'm saying is is that it's been challenged that it's, it's not as, I guess what maybe the judge was talking about was that there is more of a, seems to be a more, uh, a movement towards, you know, like pets and, and things of that nature as to human beings. I mean, of course, Lisa, I also saw a thing tonight or this afternoon, and researching some of this even more was, and I'd have to agree with it. Is that I, you know, we're we're Michael. You have that quote. I don't have it up right now. My internet is for some reason awfully slow. But you know that. Yeah,
1: I can read it if you could read that. Yeah, uh, give me one second here. Let me find it again. Da, 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 da. There's no, There are no persuasive arguments in favor of the death penalty and a menu of solid arguments against it. But it is debates such as this, how best to kill someone, that point to the inherent absurdity and inhumanity of an act that, if committed by any of us individually, would be a crime. No, no government should have the power of life in death over its citizens.
0: I was just reading that other article. Um you know, again that's the debate on whether the death penalty is good or bad.
2: And Lisa I yeah. wanted to ask you Not whether uh,
0: not whether Lethal injection deliberately inflicts unnecessary pain on the person being executed. Now, something interesting, though, in this lawsuit, which was, I think, Tommy Arthur, who was actually executed, um, again, you know, Dr. K is probably a death penalty opponent he's an anesthesiologist but on what does he base his statement that consciousness checks are inadequate how many executions did he witness
2: it doesn't mean.
0: That it's not his firsthand knowledge He's he's taking information being provided to him by his client, and he's being their proponent or their advocate. And, you know, he's saying what needs to be said in an effort to say, well, even if the drugs work, they still might feel something. Uh, And I'm looking looking at the rest of the article Um, Okay The consciousness check involves Saying the inmate's name Brushing the eyelashes Then pinching his arm They need to add pulling the eyelid up And touching the eyeball because if if you're not unconscious, when you see that finger coming, your head's gonna move um, and he just says that's that's inadequate uh based off testimony he's read that the officers aren't trained to do so well I mean you know they're they're not trained what what type of medical training? Do you have to have a medical degree well, to I say mean, someone's part, name, brush their eyelashes, or pinch them and see if they open their eyes?
1: For the most part, Lisa isn't uh, isn't executions carried out by somebody, and we never know for sure because we know a doctor wouldn't be. You know, a doctor is saying they wouldn't do it, but somebody with some sort of medical profession or some sort of degree in medical or in medicine is conducting these, I, correct?
0: I think they are at at least at the least an EMT paramedic level.
1: Right. Obviously I know I'm pretty sure for a fact that it's not a doctor and it's not a nurse, but I think pretty much anything underneath that is fair game that
0: Correct. they could be involved. Correct. Um, so, uh, you know, like I said, I, I. as we saw with the Arkansas case um, that just wrapped up in federal court, I think a couple weeks ago we're waiting on the judge's decision. You can find an expert. I work in law firms. I've worked in plaintiff's law. I've worked in defense law firms. You can find an expert to support your position, and usually both sides do it. You only provide that expert the the information that you want them to have. Now, some experts will call you on that and say, I need everything, because if they look at everything then they can tell you why the other stuff doesn't, doesn't apply. But you know, even this Dr. K, he's not basing it on firsthand knowledge, his own studies or things like that. He's basing it on what he's read about the consciousness checks, and he's saying they're not enough. The people don't know how to do them right. They're not enough to determine if they're properly, sed- the, you know, the inmates property is sedated. That's what his side, Mr. Arthur, was, you know, wanting him to do. There's two sides to this, and as I said, you know, I, unfortunately for Arthur, he was not successful.
3: Very good point
1: on that. Yeah, like I I said, I mean, my thing with that is, you know, like you said, as far as consciousness checks, I have no medical history, but I've also never witnessed. I mean, I'm just from experience and hearing testimony, it, it sounds adequate if somebody's trying to poke my eyeball and I'm not and I'm not unconscious, or you know, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like, bro, get your finger away from my and, ball.
0: right? And part of case testimony is they're not pinching hard enough. Well, do you want them to get a needle? And and you know, or I scrape a scalpel it, it up the bottom the point, of the foot, because that's what they do
1: in a hospital. Point, it may get to the point where they have to enable all the brain scans at every. Execution, but here's the thing. Next, the next thing's going to be well, the equipment's malfunctioning or something like that. Right, right. So, I mean, there's always going to be a quote-unquote argument, I believe.
0: So, and like I said, yeah, they're the you know the attorneys, as like as we as we saw with Christopher Price, you know, they they were un- ultimately unsuccessful on one avenue. And so they tried another one. And, you know, with Rodney Reed, they're going to try another one. Larry Swearingen, they're going to try another one. You know, they're going to keep trying.
3: Absolutely. Um, those aren't,
0: uh, in order to keep the execution, I mean, anything to keep the execution from happening is well, basically. I
3: Which I the, mean, and
1: I can't tell anybody is in their position and right. wants to fight it because obviously they're fighting for their life, but, you know, and I could never fight, fault somebody for fighting for their life, but, you know.
0: So, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I, and Brad, I, like I said, I would, I would, I would like to know the basis of Dr. K's knowledge. And also, again, you know, with Justice Stevens, what is he basing his statement on?
2: yeah, absolutely, Lisa. I tell you right now, I mean uh, uh that's, hang on one second, <laughs> oh my goodness, I am so sorry, um. I'm actually looking at his LSU page um, with a phone number and an email address. Um, he's got a bachelor's of science in biology, psychology, MD. No, and I'm, not, Brad, I'm not, Brad. I'm not, I'm not questioning. This guy on and actually talk to I'm him not questioning point. his
0: credentials. Okay.
2: No, no, I understand what you're asking. I was just kind of looking through that, reading it in my head for some reason. Um, but no, I would actually like to talk to the guy and, and kinda of get his perspective on all of it if he was free to do that at some point. You and know, I don't and, you know, I would I would
3: important.
0: say, you know, his his perspective is gonna remain pretty consistent. That there's a flaw well, in the I process, understand. and therefore it cannot be trusted, and therefore uh, the death penalty should be abolished.
2: Well, no, I, I'm sure that's where he's going to come from. But I mean, at least we would be able to assert or ascertain at least you know and where he got trust, away, you know.
0: But trust me, if if he were on, and I asked him, how many executions have you witnessed in Alabama? His butt would get so far up on his shoulders, he would be pissed. Even though it's a valid question. You know, are you ba- is your opinion based on firsthand data that you have gathered, or are you basing it on second hand data that has been provided to you. So I you know I, I trust that he would not appreciate that question from me.
2: Oh no, I'm sure he wouldn't.
0: Um and um You know, because he would he would he would interpret that question as questioning his credibility his professionalism whatever when really all I'm trying to do is determine have you been present have you observed these things for yourself or have you been told that ABCD happened
2: Well, now, let me ask you this, Lisa. Um, As far as his expertise in in an anesthesiology, he obviously, you know, as an anesthesiologist and a director of it, you know, before you put myself or you or Michael uh, into a surgery for which there's going to be a lot of pain, maybe they have to, you know, obviously cut something. He's obviously has an in-depth knowledge of, of making sure that someone is um, unconscious enough to where the effects of the surgery as they are happening are not felt by the said individual. Uh, so does that not, if he is, if, if, and, and I don't know where he got his information from. If he got it from the defense. Right. or if he researched uh, you know, obviously, to me, there should be a you should have to have some kind of detailed notes, and or maybe you know I it doesn't I don't know the protocol for lethal injection, but to me it seems like and I know you run the risk of of, of live leak and things of that nature, but to me, do they film lethal injections for custodial records?
0: That I do not know. Um, and I,
2: and, I, and I don't know if they do or not. I just didn't know if he saw it or if he read I, the, the actual notes on, the, on what happened. I, a minute, I would go.
0: highly doubt it. Um, I, I would, I would, I would guess that every state does not film it, and they don't allow it to be filmed, they're very careful about, you know, um witnesses and making sure that nobody has any means of recording either audio or video. Um, So I think that they don't do it because under public records if they do it, it then would become uh, discoverable or it would have to be released under public records law.
1: I mean, my thing so is don't gather suggest, it. Maybe you have to change some things around, but that actually does bring up a good. That actually does bring up a good point, Lisa. Uh, and like I said, maybe they can find some type of privacy, or you know, enable something in the Freedom of Information Act to you know keep those sealed. But you know, if you have to film to go in somebody's cell shouldn't you have to film to execute them to make sure?
0: No, not necessarily. I think the reason for the filming when they have to go into the cell is to document the inmates' conduct that required the use of force and to document the level of force employed.
1: But wouldn't that wouldn't that end a lot of these arguments over whether something was botched or not? Like, hey I'm gonna show in court that this was not botched and Well no
0: because again somebody can three people you the three of us could watch the same video and each of our perceptions would be slightly different. True. I would see everything as involuntary. I would see him as unconscious. Brad might see him as conscious and suffering. And you might see him as maybe he was kind of conscious and probably suffering a little bit. But, you know, I mean, our perception is just like as the witnesses at executions. You know, I think at O'Dell Lee, um, there were people who witnessed his execution and said he, you know, took forever to die and he suffered and it was horrible. And other witnesses said, you know, there was no suffering, there was no movement, there was no indication that he was conscious, you know, and it was fairly quick. Or one of the other, not it may, it may not have been Lee, it may have been one of the other one of the other, uh, uh, with, uh one of the other executions.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Or no, it was Liddell Lee. They reported his last words as something else, and the official report was no last words. Right. So, but you know, again. I don't know that they, and again, the privacy, it's a medical procedure. Bottom line. True. And generally, I mean, hospitals, even if it's your own procedure, they get very upset if you're trying to video something in a hospital. Right. Um, I for example, my when the last time my uncle visited, we I took him to the ER because he was having a, an issue, and we're sitting in there, and I was on my Kindle, and the first thing the one of the nurses when she came in, she said, "Are you you're not filming, are you? You can't film in here." And I said, "No, ma'am, I'm on my Kindle on the internet."
3: <laughs> right.
0: Passing passing the time with my uncle while we sit in the ER.
1: Yeah, and God knows those those can be forever.
0: So, um, and then just to go back on the controversial ones, um, Dennis McGuire in Ohio. He also, I believe, took longer to die than. The 15 or 20 minutes I think that people say it should take, and that's another thing with a medical procedure, you can't say how long any medical procedure is going to take. Even a tonsillectomy, which is a relatively routine procedure, on a five-year-old kid, yeah, it'll take an hour, but on a 54-year-old woman, you might be in there two hours. Or three hours. Um, You know, I I mean, in medical procedures, it's kind of like a range. And, you know, it's good if you can get it done in the low end of the range, but if it goes into the high end of the range, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong or that anybody's done anything wrong. Right. It just means that particular patient... That particular procedure is going to take longer than it would in other circumstances. So I think that's the first fallacy is that lethal injection takes 20 minutes to conclude, or it takes 20 Mm -hmm. minutes or 15 minutes for for the inmate to die. And, and I think that's a first fallacy because it is, it's a medical procedure. And especially when you're talking about not protocols that don't use the paralytic and the potassium chloride. Because when it's just an overdose of one or two drugs, then you're introducing a whole new set of variables that aren't controlled the way paralyzing and ceasing respiration and inducing heart attack would give you. Well, Lisa,
2: have you been following or had you followed the – the, the trial that's <clears throat> taking place right here at the federal courthouse.
0: Literally. Yeah, I I was I've been following that a little bit. I know they had uh uh you know, they concluded testimony and um Michael and I talked about that a little bit. You know, there were some state witnesses who've witnessed executions. Uh one of the complaints was about Kenneth Williams' execution, but then people who actually witnessed it Oh, and and the medical examiner, Dr. Koch, said basically what witnesses perceived as consciousness or evidence of suffering were actually involuntary uh, involuntary reactions of the body to drug to the drugs.
2: Well, I, I was just I was just reading this article that uh, was talking about it. And this obviously from back in April. But uh, reading some of the the testimony given by Gail Van Norman, which is fairly interesting. I mean, it's an interesting read. I mean, there's a lot of science behind a lot of this stuff that I don't understand, and I won't even pretend to.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, you you have to – in what the judge is doing, I think that's another thing that uh, I didn't – When we talked on Saturday, I didn't really get around to talking about is how often you're getting, you're only getting one side and people often only want to look at one side and then they make their decision or form their opinion based on that side. Um, If you go through some of the other articles with the, and read the testimony from the state's witnesses, in that same case, you see, you know, a different perspective.
2: Well, on because it. this, she states that, and and uh, that, how do you pronounce that drug?
0: Pancurium bromide. No,
2: the mid midazolam.
0: Midazolam.
2: Midazolam. Itself is capable of producing um, an analgesic, but anyway, it's for such strong stimuli, but it is capable of blocking or potentially reducing responses, and the movements are being masked in any case by the introduction of the paralytic agent. The prisoners were unable to move in response to indicate that they were suffering, so if there were no movements, that would still make perfect sense. And she argues the case that they've never used medazolam as a, an, an an anesthetic or whatever.
0: Well, it's act, um, it actually is used. It's, it's actually used in like outpatient procedures. It's used in procedures where they don't want to, where they don't want to or need to use general anesthesia which requires respiratory support. If you go to an outpatient clinic for a knee replacement or a torn ACL or a torn meniscus, they're giving you they're not. They're not putting you under general anesthesia.
2: Yeah, I just read that that they use it before surgery or procedure where it helps to cause drowsiness, decrease anxiety, and to decrease your right. memory of the surgery. Correct. This medication and it's
0: enough. It's enough for that. Now most surgeries, but there's also even with propofol and stronger uh, anesthetics, you still can wake up during surgery. I remember so, my mom talking about waking up during surgeries twice. Hmm.
2: So let me ask you this, Lisa, what is your thoughts on nitrogen hypoxia?
0: Um, well I mean I I've had nitrous oxide at the dentist. It's pretty yeah, yeah. but I mean somebody's gonna find somebody's gonna find something <laughs> when they when they start using nitri- nitrous hypoxia or whatever they're going to call it, uh, you know, they're going to find flaws with that.
2: Well, see, the thing, now, the, the, the article I read earlier today about, because I guess Oklahoma is actually uh, in the works to do yeah. it. And yeah. They were and so is Alabama. That right. And they, that they've never been able, they've never done it before. And they said that there's really no humane way to test um, the process of the nitro- or basically asphyxiation with nitrogen. Um, so, you know, in that case, is that opening like Pandora's box to, to those that, that uh, you know, obviously have an issue with what they're calling a box that's execution with to me, you know, the literal term for bot- botched execution would be, like you stated, that, you know, it didn't work. Um, but I don't, you know, and, and my whole theory on all of it is that I still believe to this day, number one, I'll, you know, I, I don't, I don't agree with the death penalty because I don't think it's a deterrent for anything. Um, and again, I think but it I... gives the government more power than usual than they should have. To 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 something that I believe That there's only one uh, body of, of power In this world That has the ability to say Whether you live or die And I don't think that's any That's nothing of this earth um, But You know at the same time I understand the argument that's made Well you know like the Clayton Lockett Obviously she had to watch Her own grave being dug And I totally understand it And as I was reading that case the this this side of me came out, and I'm like, I don't give a, you know, if this guy suffers or whatever. But at the same time, I think we still have a thing to where we, if we're gonna go ahead and execute people, you know, the the point is is I don't think that we're really teaching you know, a lesson by okay, well they're gonna suffer. We don't care they're gonna die anyways. I mean, I. I Michael's question is the firing squad they say is like creates too much of a spectacle or it's, it's a gruesome style. I don't know. I was reading that too.
0: Well, he, I mean, it, so, firing squad is, is good. They, what they generally do is um, I think it's uh, five people and nobody knows who has the blank and who has live cartridges and um because they're basically handed a, a gun, a rifle and they're um uh then, you know, ready aim fire. But um you know, I don't I don't know that would probably be good, but there would be people who would find yeah. Uh there are people that are always going to find a problem. My thing is, is that I don't think we should equate the death penalty with discouraging murder, because that's never what it's been meant to do. It's a punishment for a crime committed, as we were talking about at the you know top of the show. Kill a child, kill a kill a a, a vulnerable person, an older person. Um, killing someone in a robbery, a rape, a kidnapping—you um, know, those are those are all. It's a punishment for a, a specific crime committed by a specific individual.
2: And, and I can. I, just, see I don't that. think we
0: should expect it to dis- dis- discourage. Someone else, because human nature we when we do wrong, we don't anticipate being caught, and we don't anticipate being held accountable for our actions.
3: I don't
2: know, I think there's a level that there that there's a level that that punishment does act as a deterrent though because. You, you, in all honesty, like, that's a major reason besides the morality of all of it is is why you don't, I mean, this, personally, I don't, because I, number one, I, I believe it's immoral to take someone's life, um, and it's not my place, and second of all, even as mad as I could get, I've been there, Um you know, in my case, it, it is a deterrent because I'm like, well, if I do this, then I this is going to happen to me, and, and that's not good. Um, right. Prison, prison's good enough for me, honestly, to to, because because I like my freedom. I like the fact that I can go outside and vape, or I can take the dogs out, or I can go get on the boat, or
3: you know, mm-hmm. I have the ability to
2: go to work and and all that. So I don't necessarily agree that 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 uh, punishment isn't. Uh, uh, is not a deterrent to a degree. I mean, <clears throat> we constantly discipline our children as we raise them, you know, and we go, well, if you you know, if you don't watch this and you're, you know, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not getting this. And and the punishment is them not getting it, but it's also a deterrent or a factor for them to, to do something that, you know, is beneficial to them, but, you know, it's something we want them to Correct. do. Correct,
0: but you're – a lot of the people who are on death row – Are people who did not want to modify their behavior the first time. Because another factor uh, or another aggravator in death penalty is prior criminal history. And, you know, Clayton Lockett had a prior criminal history. Oh man. So and I, you, just, I, I mean I understand. People who don't who they go to prison and that's you know, that that it's somebody else's fault. I think that's the hard thing. I think there are a lot of people who don't accept the consequences of their actions so it's always gonna be someone else's fault. Their attorney the co defendant, the police, the family of the victim, all these other people are conspiring to put them in prison. Uh, but that's a topic for an, <laughs> another show.
2: Oh,
0: met, I'm but, topic you know, a, a lot of work. these, a lot of the people we're talking about who have been executed had, uh, most of them had an opportunity to modify their behavior, to change their life, to do things differently. And they chose instead to remain on the same path that they were on. And then they took a life or multiple lives for drugs or money or possessions or just because They couldn't have the relationship, so they killed her, and they killed her father because they perceived her father as interfering in the relationship.
2: Well, Lisa, let me ask you this, because um, you're an expert on it as far as the legal system and all that goes. I never did understand uh, why it was that uh, that um, Damien Eccles was sentenced to death and the other two
0: were not. Well, that was an example of the three of the two juries treating each of the defendants differently. I think Ms. Kelly's jury did not find him as culpable in the death of Steve and Chris as they found him in Michael's death, and they didn't find any of those deaths to be capital murder. In the Eccles Baldwin case, I think probably Jason's age and his lack of a significant criminal history led to them finding that he didn't deserve a death penalty, which had he been sentenced to death would have been uh, vacated or commuted in 2006 to life in prison he would have gotten a new sentencing hearing. Um, with Eccles, I think it was his his attitude, his testimony, some of his antics in court, his history, his mental history, the age of the victims, the heinousness of the crime, and they found that he deserved the death penalty. But that's interesting because like I said the you know the the claim has always been that the juries were so unfair and the prosecutions were so unfair and all these things but yet Baldwin and Miss Kelly they did not land on death row for the same crime. And that's because the jury weighed the mitigating and the aggravating factors and determined that Baldwin and Miss Cowley did not deserve death while Eccles did. Are we still on?
1: Yes, ma'am. We're still
2: on. Michael, to answer your question, I don't think a life sentence is a deterrent either. But uh, you know, I don't know. Um, and until they find some kind of like reform uh, in the in the prison system, I think that if you send someone to prison for a certain amount of years, that I don't think there's any chance of them getting rehabilitation. Uh, I understand that there are certain people that continue to go back to that lifestyle, and that's what they've always known or done or whatever, but uh, I don't think that prison is well, a either. I just don't agree with the death penalty. Well, but
0: prison, that's the, the, this is also the problem. People expect the institution to change the individual. The individual has to want to change. The only way change is ever going to happen is if the individual wants it and is willing to work at it. And that's also the problem. You can't expect prison to change somebody who does not think they're doing anything wrong and who thinks it's everyone else's fault that they are where they are. And that is... Especially in the younger generations, becoming more and more common.
2: I mean, I, I mean, I'm not going to argue. I can't argue that. I understand that. People, I mean, there are some people in this world that there's there's really honestly no hope for. And I think a lot of that could be put on. Uh, you know, another topic for another show. As far as like, you know, right. influence influence, things of that nature. But you know, what we're talking about today, I think, is a is a more systematic problem. You know, with with just the way society's moved into a more negative life. But you know, I don't know.
0: What do I? <laughs> uh, you know, I I I don't I don't know. I just. I just know the basic tenet of, you know, God helps those who help themselves. If you are living a lifestyle that's landing you in jail, in court, and in prison, you have to want to change. And it it's not easy. It takes work. It's just like if you... If you are an alcoholic and you don't want to live that life anymore, it's work to quit drinking and to maintain your sobriety. You know, we have a family friend who's been doing it for 30 years, and it's the hardest thing he's ever done, and he said that many times. Uh, but you and, have you know, to that, want and it. And until where, you want it, until you recognize problem, you're not gonna change.
2: And, and I think that's where if you do, you know, believe in a if you do believe in a higher power and, and that they I mean that's why we were all defined as having been given free will. Uh, and we're all, you know, either victims or winners of our own choices. Uh and what we choose to do and how we choose to live. But I just don't know. I I can't, I haven't found a, a viable explanation or argument to me personally to, to basically support the death penalty. I mean, I used to be, Lisa. don't get me wrong. I used to support the death penalty wholeheartedly. Um, but I've never really thought about a botched execution, honestly. Um, You know, I can't imagine that, I mean, unless we start doing Game of Thrones and, you know, going back to the old days and just breaking out the old double-edged sword and cutting heads off, um, I don't think we'll ever find a humane way to actually
0: put someone down because
2: the act of killing in itself is inhumane.
0: Right, but it's it's not done without due process the way it was in the. uh, Well,
2: no, I mean, I mean, you know,
0: in the
3: very very first. What is the average
0: time? time. The average time on death row, even in Texas, is about fifteen years, and that includes state and federal post conviction. Uh, Look at you know Rodney Reed. He's been on death row twenty-one years, and he still got pending claims at the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. So he's had due process, and then some. And well, Lisa, to me, I I hate that I I you know I hate it to a degree. Because the victims don't get that. They get someone who served as jury, judge, and executioner.
2: So do we know what the cost of the death penalty is versus the cost of housing?
0: Well, no, not – Different slides have different numbers, but there are so many factors. There's not only housing, security guards. Um, there are appeals. In some states, you have a lot of pro bono groups like Innocence Project that represent at no cost. Then you have other, you know, other states where there's um, state-funded post-conviction project uh, attorneys. And so it's going to vary, I think, from state to state, case to case. It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. Um, And I would think the cost of housing someone, whether it's for 20 years prior to execution or 40 years, are not going to be that different. But I've never seen anything non... I've never seen an objective study that doesn't look at it from pro, or con death penalty? I've seen, you know, anti-death penalty studies that say, oh, yeah, life, life in prison without parole is cheaper. Well, is it cheaper because there aren't endless appeals that are funded by the state because the convicted person is indigent but entitled to due process under the U.S. Constitution? Is that the difference? Michael, are you there?
3: Yeah, I'm here. <laughs>
2: See me and Michael were, were talking uh Saturday Saturday was I guess it was late Saturday night coming back from, from Mountain Pine, which was a wonderful adventure. Um <laughs> <laughs> But we were talking, I mean, I just want your opinion, Lisa. Do you think that if we went to the bare minimum um, in in the prison system, uh, that it would make a difference as opposed to a death penalty? But
3: then in, you, would maybe have the
1: same people- you would have the same people, Brad, in my opinion, you'd have the same people that were anti-death penalty, then turning around to... Well, you're violating the prisoners' rights by not by life without yeah. Case. That I
0: so, I was about to say, when they when they even though they claim life without parole is better, once they get the death penalty they're gonna go after life without parole.
1: You're never gonna please everybody.
0: And, you know, you're, yeah, you're, you're always going to, you're going to have people that think kill somebody, you should be sent to bed without supper or without dessert. (laughs) So, um, I, I just, I, I think, uh, I think the states that have the death penalty, the citizens of that state have elected to have the death penalty, and as long as the death penalty conforms with the Constitution, then it, it is a legal punishment for a specific crime committed on a specific date and time by a specific individual.
2: No, I mean, I, I totally get your, you know, and, and you can't. You're not going to please everybody, obviously, and and there would be a, a movement towards, you know, the inhumane treatment of, of people in a cage. But, um, I, I just, I don't know. I, uh, like I said, I, I never once thought about the uh, the whole execution and the botching of an execution or, um. Uh, of that nature uh you, I just I don't know if there is a way to do it that would appease you know uh, a majority of the people like okay
0: there's Well and
2: and we'll again
0: you know part of the part of the problem is that you're always going to have people who believe or perceive that it is causing unnecessary pain even in the absence of any evidence or proof of that and so you know until somebody proves that it it causes unnecessary pain um you know, at this point, they can't even prove whether individuals were conscious or not conscious. Because even the experts don't know whether the person was conscious or not conscious. So, and I I think to be on the safe side, we might want to wrap this up before blog talk cuts us off. Yeah. Uh, I know, I, I know, I'm looking sure, at the clock like 10:30, waiting for the hammer to fall. Yeah. Well, did
2: you want to <laughs> announce that special show you were doing, Lisa, before you went off the air?
0: Yeah, I was going to do the uh, the outro. Um, I do I I do an intro and an outro.
3: My gosh! So I'm
0: going to go ahead and and do the outro real quick. Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Conahan. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook, go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com, or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. Join us tomorrow night, May 28, 2019, beginning at 8 p.m. for Episode 12, Court of Public Opinion, which features a roundtable discussion with case watchers and researchers from Facebook, including... Our own Brad Hicks we will discuss some of the claims made and tactics employed by advocates for individuals who've been convicted of murder, who've unsuccessfully challenged their convictions and or sentences in the court until um, we're also sorry about that. uh, Next Tuesday, June 4th, join me and Michael for our Belmont Steak Special. Uh, Since my mind's going to be on horse racing, I'm just going to bite the bullet and do a horse racing show. We'll talk about the 151st Belmont Stakes, which is the one and a half mile test of champions to be run Saturday, June 8, 2019. We'll talk about the history of the track in Elmont, New York, the evolution of triple crown races, and learn about the types of horse racing held at tracks across the United States. We'll also discuss the field of horses, their trainers and jockeys, post positions, and we'll make some predictions about the race. There may not be a triple crown title on the line this year, but as we've seen with the Kentucky Derby and Preakness Stakes, 2019 has still proved to be an exciting and memorable year in horse racing. And Brad, you are cordially invited to join us. It's going to be next Tuesday, not tomorrow, but the week after, at eight PM. Michael, Brad,
3: I'm
1: still here. I I, I muted everybody because you always say don't interrupt your uh, don't interrupt your outro.
0: Okay. Well, did you didn't mute me? Did you? <laughs>
1: No, I didn't
0: use you. All right. So, Brad, uh, I hope you'll join us. Tuesday the 4th. Okay. He said uh,
1: he wants to say something to you real quick, so I'm going to bring him back on.
2: Okay.
3: we go.
1: Okay,
3: All right.
2: Brad. Oh, most, most definitely, and, and, and just kind of leading into that, Lisa, I just wanted to ask real quick given his performance at the Preakness, do you believe that had that foul at the Kentucky Derby not happened, that we would be looking at a potential triple crown?
0: No, because in the Kentucky Derby, even without the maximum security debacle, War of Will was kind of trapped in traffic, and he probably would not have been able to finish first. Now, had maximum security not been running at all, we might be looking at a potential triple crown. Because I think without maximum maximum security in the race, War of Will probably would have performed quite well. But the way the derby ran, I don't think War of Will, I just think he got caught up in traffic and he kind of had a bad a bad hand.
2: Right. Well the on you know, Jackie the, Derby real Day. Quick, and we'll talk about it on the show on on Tuesday, but because uh, I think I have a guaranteed winner, i 'cause I'm I've been fairly accurate in the Derby and the uh I had War of Will and in Country House as my uh-huh. two of my top favorites going into the Derby and I had text my dad who was over at Oakland Park. But uh and I felt like Will had a had had good movement but I don't think Warwill wins the Belmont and I will definitely talk about that next Tuesday.
0: Okay, yeah. Um I've I've been hearing some things about, you know, who's who's running and who's not. Um and I'll keep an eye on that this week.
2: I have a horse that I have a that if it hits and I will give that away on Tuesday. That if it hits, we are looking at a monumental payout.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Absolutely.
2: Well, a- as you know, I'm a degenerate gambler,
3: <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh,
2: um, and and so this is this has always been my favorite time of the year. So I've actually yeah. done a lot of studying on it, and uh, uh, and I. And I feel
0: like I have a lot for the Belmont, but I'm not gonna give it away. All right. All right, well we'll uh, we'll talk about that on June fourth. And
3: Absolutely. until
0: then everybody have a everybody have a great week. Stay safe and good night.